Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. So, Reese, uh, who did you just talk to? Uh, I had a conversation with Jordan Bonaparte from the Nighttime Podcast, which is a true crime, mystery, horror, uh, conspiracy. He loves weird, mysterious topics. So, what was what was the what was the conversation about? Or actually, why did you uh, why did you want to talk to him? Well, his show is really interesting because. Uh, first of all, his attitude is, was really interesting. It was never he never wanted a big successful show, um, but he got one, uh, and that was not really by accident. As much as he, as he didn't set that as his goal, he was just passionate about what he was doing, and people flocked to it through that passion. And secondly, he only talks about really specific uh, stories that are local to him, but his audience is not that local audience. His audience is global. So uh, it's really interesting how just because he's he's digging into things in a really interesting kind of forensic way and, and discovering these quirky stories right on his doorstep, uh, the storytelling and the, the twists and turns are so compelling that it just makes good listening for, for anyone regardless of, of where you are. Well, it's it's. I was listening to the interview, and it was a good conversation. And you guys were talking a little bit about um, the reason why you're doing this, and the and the goal, and and where you sort of think the perceived audience is, and where he's ended up now is is different from where he thought he was going to start. It's interesting how sometimes these things grow beyond what your first vision is, and and, and as you're starting it out, um, I'm thinking about for our audience. Uh, one of the reasons why we would have conversations with. With, with Jordan is is to learn how he found success and how he got there not necessarily from uh, his first step or his second step but was is there a is there a key or a, a guiding light for him or something that we've we can take away from him and share with our audience that uh, that you got from that conversation I guess first of all he he just got started he just started recording he had a, a, an interview with his grandfather and then then spidered out into him making a document an audio documentary essentially based on that conversation and then he put that out and he got a good response and then he, he made another one and then another one so he just started doing it uh, and the other side is he's genuinely passionate and excited about the topics he's talking about. He loves uncovering these these stories. He loves going out and meeting people with interesting stories to tell. And that passion um, has has really uh, driven and developed uh, the show over time and is a real key factor. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, listening to this podcast with uh, Reese Waters and Jordan Bonaparte uh, for Nighttime Podcast. Podstarter. Every podcast starts somewhere. Jordan, could you describe exactly what nighttime is? Because I know some people refer to it as like a true crime show, but I'd say that there's it's kind of wider than that. It's not just crime. There's a lot of mystery and other elements in there. Yeah, uh, the way I would kind of categorize it is it's a, it's a show that covers dark, strange, unusual events that happen in Canada, but often Eastern Canada, just because that's where I live. The topics could be crime, because that's something I'm interested in, but I also spend a lot of time with uh, missing persons cases, unexplained events, be it uh, UFO type sighting or just uh, an archeological mystery. So I just like kind of the, the interesting stories that are off the beaten path and that make you just realize that there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. Now, the stories tend to be quite local to Atlantic Canada, but 
the interesting thing is that your audience is not necessarily as local as, as the Utopics. Yeah, that's one thing that surprised me. When I first started, I expected I was going to be making a podcast that, you know, 100 or 200 people in my city would listen to because I'm talking about things, you know, downtown Halifax a lot of the time. Um, almost immediately, I realized that that wasn't going to happen. From, from the very beginning, I would say probably 75% of my audience was American. The other 25% would have been spread between Canada, England, you know, other countries. And, and even still to this day, despite being broadcast nationally on Canadian radio, it's still like, I'm still probably 60% American audience. I don't like dwell on too much that, you know, where it is. I'm kind of, I'm trying to keep it a little vague. And I think the people who are listening from the States and whatnot, they don't, I don't think they realize that all these stories are taking place in the same area. They're just seeing it as, you know, either, it's interesting stories from somewhere or it's interesting stories from Canada. They don't realize that a lot of what I'm doing is like, you know, my own backyard, basically. How big is your audience? What's your kind of monthly um, listenership? Well, it, it can range from depending on how, like, cause what happens, you release an episode, y your downloads go crazy because everyone's getting that episode that's subscribed. But like, I would say on average, when I release an episode, it'll get like say 70,000 downloads within the first say day or two. But every day after that, it's getting like a thousand. So over the course of a month, like it would probably be like, I'd say probably like two hundred to three hundred thousand a month, maybe something like that would be about normal. Would you ever have guessed an audience like that when you started? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, uh, like I would have when I hit. I remember hitting a thousand total downloads and being like, holy crap. Then hitting a million and being like, holy crap. And now it's like over seven million, and it's. Like, it's just crazy to even think that number. I still think there's maybe there's some problem within Apple's software. <laughs> but it's just all, it's all just an accident. Yeah, and these emails like are going to the, of people like correcting my grammar or yeah. just being sent to the wrong person. <laughs> and one of the things about your podcast as well is that your, your investigative angle is always quite thorough, I guess. You, you, and it's kind of old school in the sense that you go to courtrooms to get documents and you go beyond yeah, Wikipedia and Google. So how important was that to you from the start? Or is that something that, that just developed when you were trying to find more information, I guess? Uh, well, a little bit of both. Like it kind of, when I first started, again, I was deciding to focus mainly on Eastern Canadian topics. And one of the reasons I chose to do that is a lot of the shows that I know and love, they were covering, you know, the big things, Area 51 or, you know, it, just like things that everybody would know. I was thinking, I'm going to do that same type of show, but I'm going to do it about the mysteries that, you know, live near me. The problem with doing that is nobody talks or writes about the mysteries that lived near me. So from the very beginning, my research and writing and interviews, it all had to be firsthand. So I did a series or an episode called the Bell Island Boom. And Bell Island is this island in Newfoundland where I think back in the 70s, there was some kind of explosion in the sky that left this bizarre effect, um, electrical effect on, you know, people who lived below the explosion, basically. So anyway, a really weird story. Very little was written about it. So to find that information to put my episode together, I would collect what was written about it. But then I went and found the old newspapers from the time to see what people were saying. I was looking for names in those articles, trying to find those people on the phone book, who's still alive, who else in that small town has that same last name, because maybe I can write to them on Facebook and they'll tell me it's their uncle I want to talk to. And, and so from the very beginning, that's kind of how I was doing it. It's like, I guess, yeah, like an old school reporter style. Like I'll have requests for like, you should cover 
you know, blank well-known case. And I'm always like, uh, you know, it's, it's been done so many times. I won't say this to the people, but I'm thinking, it's just like I can't have a unique version of it unless I'm, you know, for whatever reason, if I was close to someone involved. What I'd rather do is find a story that nobody's covered, spend a couple of weeks figuring out everything I can, interview people involved, and put out, you know, the thing that a year from now people will listen to my thing to find the accurate information. And how exactly did you get into podcasting in the first place? Well, really, I started in 20 like probably 2013. And the way it started first is I was a huge podcast listener. Like I constantly listening to different podcasts. I have a background in music. I was in a recording, like I was in a rock band basically. We recorded our at home demos and recorded in studios. So I, I had some of the equipment to record audio and I had the know-how, but I wasn't thinking about starting a podcast. I was just really into the media. It was, to me, it was like a renaissance of radio and it was just so awesome. Um, the first thing I did basically to dip my feet into it is there was a podcast that I was listening to a lot simply called the sci-fi movie podcast. And they just reviewed sci-fi movies, okay. you know, Predator or, you know, this sort of thing. I just wrote to them and said, you know, if you guys ever need help with editing or whatever it is you're doing, let me know. And, you know, I, I got the equipment. I can do it. And that's like, you know, um, the most tempting thing a podcaster can hear. So they were very quickly were like, yeah, like if you can edit for us, great. The way I actually started the nighttime podcast and the way I went from helping other people edit audio to making my own show is my granddad. I had always known that the story within my family that my grandfather and grandmother saw a UFO in the mid 80s. Uh, it's something that like my aunts and uncles and parents, they just laugh about but nobody has ever really like asked my grandparents too much about it. And my granddad, I was at his house once, it was like Christmas dinner or something, probably in 2013. Me and him were just sitting on the couch chatting to get him something to talk about. I was like, tell me about the UFO puppy. And he just like went on and on telling me the story. And then he told me like, you know, you should try to look into this. And like, cause he knows I know how to use the internet, which to him is just this magical land of information. <laughs> so he's often getting me to Google his name. And every time I show him that there's results of, you know, anything to do with him, he's blown away. So I was like, all right, cool. Uh, I was like, let me record you telling the story, Poppy. And I'll, you know, take the information out there and see what I can figure out. So I just pulled out my iPhone. We went in a quiet room. He talked for five minutes and told me what had happened. So I took that home. I listened to the audio, uh, I took note of any dates, times, the weather as he explained it, got all the information within his, his story and I was like, I'm going to go to the archives where you can find the old newspapers and stuff. And kind of the more I was getting, it's like everything about his story was checking out. And then I was thinking, you know, this could make kind of a cool, maybe like a short YouTube film or since it's an audio recording of my granddad, I was actually thinking maybe I'll try to make like a podcast out of it and get in touch with a friend who has podcasts. But then as I was recording it and putting it all together and it was so personal to me because it was my grandparents, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put it, I'm just going to create cover art. I'll decide a name in the next five minutes and I'm going to put it on iTunes to see what happens. Um, so again, without any time at all, basically what I did was I used my keyboard and I recorded a couple little tunes to use as music and segues. I thought, what am I going to call this? You know, and I was like, maybe I could call it something about my granddad's UFO. And then I was like, eh, I only have been working on this at night, so I'm just going to call it the nighttime podcast. So I gave it a name, went in Photoshop, made a logo, recorded my little tunes, put it on iTunes and told a few friends. 
I didn't expect anyone really to listen to it, but within a couple of weeks, I guess, it kind of had a couple thousand downloads, which was infinitely more than I ever would expect. Uh, and then to my surprise, um, local news picked it up. Okay. I think CBC had, somebody from CBC had heard from somebody else that somebody had put this documentary or whatever out about their grandfather's UFO. They did a story about this. And then all of a sudden, all these different people were contacting me and listening to the show and giving a you know, good review or whatever of it. So I was like, yeah, maybe I'll make a second one. So I chose the Bears Lake Mystery Walls, which is an archaeological ruins mystery near my house. Did that and you know, people loved that, I guess. So I just kept doing it. And now, I guess five or six years later, just still the same thing. I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go. But I get, the thing I love about that is how organic that you kind of fell into podcasting. You started off with a, a really interesting personal story, mm-hmm. and then it just made sense that that was the best vehicle to tell the story. And then a couple of thousand downloads in like 2013 is pretty impressive. So oh my gosh, it, yeah, that must have been so motivating to just keep finding more and, and telling more stories. Yeah, I suppose. big time because it was. Like for one, it's cool to see the downloads, but what was really amazing is you release that episode and it was like, say like three days later, I got an email from someone in like Sweden. That just blew my mind being like this little thing that I thought, you know, my uncles would listen to all of a sudden these people in Sweden are like trying to get involved in the search for the truth, you know? So right away I was like, podcasting is for me. This is what I dig. And and not only that, a lot of podcasting is about like networking and communities and all that. So as the show kind of got better and got an audience. I heard from a few different artists from Canada who made music and they just volunteered to give to give me music in exchange for like shout outs on the show and stuff. Every episode I learn a new trick or, or get a little better at something. And I, it's like my show I'm sure doesn't compete with the highest quality podcasts, but it definitely stands its own. And you wouldn't think it was just some, you know, amateur guy with a, you know, five-year-old laptop. So you were at this stage where you were kind of building this momentum. You were getting emails from Sweden. You were aware that you were building an audience. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that kind of happened that kind of any kind of knockbacks you had along the way that kind of taught you any important lessons? Yeah, I've, I've had so many. Every mistake I made, I would learn something from and adapt to compensate for. One of the big things that I found early on was a lot of the podcasts that I was listening to and kind of trying to, I wouldn't say compete with, but trying to kind of be in the same world as, would do like a weekly release, but they weren't doing the kind of research that I was doing. So what I was finding is my show was really suffering because I wasn't spending as much time on the podcast and I was spending a lot more time on the back end of it. And so my first, say, eight episodes, 15 episodes were a little rough for that. And then a lot of the criticism I was getting, um, which anyone who gets into podcasts, get ready for that. But a lot of the criticisms that I was getting was stuff that I could avoid simply by spending a bit more time on the production. So I changed my um, my release schedule to, like, say, biweekly. So that's just, like, one example of a million things that became a slight problem then I just made a little tweak and it works but it's like a lot of it a lot of the problems more so are about kind of like the balance between life and podcasting and social media and having a family because that that's always been the biggest challenge for me because I get so into the stories 
and my family is so sick of hearing me talk about it. And it's a new story every second week. So <laughs> it, when I get to like the UFO story, all of a sudden everyone in my family just, they don't even want to talk to me because it's I eat, sleep and breathe it. How many hours do you think you spend maybe per week on podcasting uh, that you're trying to balance with, you know, kids and work and everything else? Yeah, it's, I, I, I generally will do like at least an hour a day. But then there's some marathon sessions, which are usually the recording and the editing. But it's like the name, Nighttime Podcast, that still rings true where it's like, my kids go to bed, now's my time to spend like an hour or two on the laptop. And it's not just, it's probably not what people will think. Like a lot of my time working on the podcast is researching, connecting with people for future stories, you know, artwork, scripting. Like I'm right now, I'm writing three different scripts at once and I'm just kind of picking them up and putting them down as I feel like it. I, I consider it like I'm in the middle of a forest with a machete just chopping at weeds and eventually I like find myself out, release the episode. As you've kind of built your following, have you got a clear idea of who your audience is now? Is there a typical listener or um, have you found it's quite diverse? Yeah, I'm probably an exception. Again, like my stories, there's a bit of a theme where they're dark, but they're of different genres. So no one audience seems to like all my episodes. So for example, I'll have people who really like my show, but they only listen to the episodes about missing persons cases, or they only listen to the crime, or they only listen to the supernatural, paranormal type stuff. So I find what I try to do is juggle my genres or the topics to keep everyone excited. So usually what I'll do is a crime show, a generic, like a, a standard kind of mystery, then maybe one that's kind of a general kind of thing, you know, a UFO story. I'll go back to crime. So I'm trying to keep everybody interested in something. Yeah, you might yeah. be responsible for introducing people to genres they never thought they'd try. And yeah, I like to think so. But it's that that's always been a challenge for me because again, a lot of podcasts are so focused uh, as to what they cover. So you can subscribe to them and hear just that sort of thing. Yeah. I could never do that because for one, I'd be bored. I'd lose motivation if I was always doing the same thing. But I do get emails from people who don't like certain topics. And especially if I get down a hole doing, you know, a six part series on, let's say, the series with Lindsay Suvonaroth, the, the mall massacre situation. I did probably six episodes in a row. But there are people who listen to my show where that kind of story is the last thing they want to hear. So I almost it almost makes me second guess some of my topics. Yeah. 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 One thing I like that was kind of cool is um, at the beginning of my podcast, there's this vo a voice that kind of sounds like to me, it sounds like um, like British or something. It's like, you are tuned to the nighttime podcast. People think it sometimes that it's me like making a voice. I thought it was you. Yeah, it's not. What I did was I went on Reddit. There was a group that was like people in this group, like what it seemed like a lot of people would do in there is say I'm making a video game, like an amateur video game. I would put scripts there and people would read the script and email it to me. I put a little post on that group saying like I'm starting a podcast and I want someone to record like my introduction. Can anyone do it? And just this random dude from, um, I think he's from Wales. Oh, really? <laughs> He wrote to me and he's like, I'll do it. And he sent me his recording and he and it was like him doing like four versions of the reading. And one of them was like this kind of old timey paper boy sort of thing. Like paper salesman is what I kind of thought it sounded like. But it was just I just loved it. I was just trying to do everything for free. Get Like I made my own music on a keyboard, went on this Reddit group and had someone to do voice acting for free. And yeah, and then just kind of cleaned it up as I went. Where if I was overthinking everything and trying to make it professional from the start, I probably never would have released an episode. I'd still be planning it. 
just like um, for anyone who has kids, you always hear people say like, you know, we're waiting for the right time to have kids. Someone will usually respond with, there is no right time to have kids. You know, it's the same thing with podcasting. Just start and, you know, it'll work out. <laughs> I guess that story as well ties into the idea of it's kind of a community endeavor podcasting. You, you're going to be building um, a community with your listenership, but also to have a community with other podcasters mm-hmm. is not necessarily I'm making a show. I'm I'm an island and I'm just going to be broadcasting outwards. Yeah. Do you think that that? Um, connection with with the community and with your audience has been a big factor in growth? Definitely. Both connection with my audience because they give me a lot of my story ideas. Like I'll constantly, I like almost every morning I wake up with an email like, you should consider this story or did you hear this thing in the news and they're sending me a link. So, and, and also it's my audience that's telling people to check out my show, building it. But um, as far as like connections with other podcasters, that's been huge as well. Very early on, I, uh, myself and maybe 10 or 15 other podcasters who covered similar style shows or similar style topics in similar ways all started this kind of unofficial network, which was more so about like sharing best practices and doing promotional swaps and whatnot. Say if there was 15 or 20 shows within that, five or six of them became bigger and all the other shows kind of gained a little bit by being associated with them. So very early on, that was kind of how the show got its, my show kind of got its start by working together with these other people. You could never do it as an island. Um, You need to have friends talking about you, listeners telling other people about you. It's it's the only way to do it. It's because there are too many podcasts and if you just, it could be the best in the world. If you just dump it on iTunes without people talking about it, they're not gonna listen to it. Something people really lean on, and is for me it's been invaluable, is finding similar size shows where we both have something to gain by working together. So again, you have a podcast where you're talking about um, Bigfoot sightings in Ireland, and I have mine doing what I do. What I'm going to do is, you know, you have a similar size audience as me, so on my show I'm gonna find a way to talk about you, or you're gonna come on my show as a guest or whatnot. You'll do the same thing for me, and all of a sudden your show, 5% of my listeners continue to follow you, and 5% of yours continue to follow me. Then we do it with your show. And it's like, as long as you're, you're networking and working together with similar size show that's gonna have a crossover audience, everybody benefits. And, and that's especially true now as the independent podcasters are being pushed to the side by the professional studios and stuff who aren't willing to do that. It's like iHeartRadio, they tend to just only plug other iHeartRadio productions. Yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. know, they've got the benefit of a big team producing lots of interesting content. So yeah. it kind of, yeah, it is it, kind of a ring fenced away from the rest of the community. There. Yeah, and if you want in on them helping you, you got to pay to get in. Same with CBC or any network, any major network like that. They're, the shows within the network are pump, pumping the entire network up. But... You don't need to be a part of that network to do that because you can have these unofficial networks where it's you and your, you know, the 30 different podcaster type things that you type people that you met online can all kind of do the same thing. And so you, you kind of went from, um, you know, building an audience and, and starting to grow. And now listening to your podcast, you have, you know, some some large brands um, sponsorship. Uh, of the show at what point did you feel like this was going from like a fun experiment and hobby into something bigger and more serious i guess huh. well for one it's still a fun experiment and hobby like i don't take it serious at all and if all those sponsors drop me tomorrow 
I'd still do the same thing. Yeah. And if nobody listened except my five friends, I'd still do the same thing. <laughs> but um, I could see my downloads you know, g- going up way higher than I ever would have imagined. I ended up getting uh, approached by an American podcast network and they offered to give to do a lot of the things I used to pay for, they offered to do for free. So they were gonna cover my hosting, which is like, you know, the place you store the files. I used to pay, say, 15 bucks a month or something. They're like, we'll do that for free. And we'll, you know, they were gonna give me a few other perks that I wouldn't have had on my own. But they also said, and we'll help you arrange advertising. So I was like, huh, like that's probably just something they're saying, but whatever, sure. And very shortly after joining that network, I started to get, you know, the typical ads you hear in podcasts, you know, they'll mail you food and you get a bed, all these (laughs) sorts of things. So I I was just doing them. And then as the money started to come in, I was thinking like, whoa, like this, like could be a business. And and it's just increased from there because now I've left that network that I was just referring to. And I'm with a network owned by Global through my affiliation or association with globals how i'm now with like i have this month like mcdonald's is sponsoring my podcast and a lot of major movies uh paramount i i shouldn't even say the brands because i don't know but uh <laughs> but yeah a lot it's it, it's it looked like i could see how somebody could make a business out of it yeah but again with what i'm doing it's like it's so much of a passion project that i try to never think about what episodes are going to create all this buzz or anything like that i just do my thing but if it becomes a business model i suppose that might change it for you but as long as you've got that fire inside to keep you finding those good stories that's what matters i guess yeah but i'm a bit old school with how podcasting should look and sound and all that stuff when i first really got into it it was almost entirely people super passionate about blank recording themselves in their basement and releasing it and it was again it was almost like podcasting was almost entirely like this online version of pirate radio or something. And I just love that. I find every year that's kind of changing to be more people who are paid to host and write shows. And myself, I can hear it. And like, I can hear the sincerity and stuff. And I want people who listen to my show. And I think this works is people will listen to my show and they know that, that I'm exactly the way I am on the show. Like that's what I'm into. That's what I would be doing. If I didn't have a podcast or a listener, I you know I'd just be doing the stuff. The only difference would be I wouldn't record it and post it online. So you so. still got the right. You've, you've got a lot of authenticity in the sense of you know you just you're on the platform. But you've still got the choice to not go down that route and still yeah. be yourself in the recordings. Yeah, and that's kind of how I want to separate. Like in e- even the podcasts I listen to, it's I always will prefer the passionate expert in blank than the person who's paid to do blank. So just as an example, like right now I'm watching the TV show Stranger Things. Um, when I watch a TV show, I want to find a podcast that, to, so I watch, you know, episode three, then I listen to podcasts about that episode. Cause it, you know, it expands kind of the show I find. But what I really like is you find, you know, two random people from God knows where, somewhere in the States or something that know the show inside out. You could never pay somebody to learn the show the way they know the show. And you listen to them break down the plots, the you know, the development of the characters. Again, it's like only the most passionate people can do that yeah. to that extent. Talking about how the industry has changed, how has your show changed from kind of the early days? Well, the production definitely, and by production, I mean the quality of the recording, the, the music, all that sort of stuff is really what I had to improve because as, as podcasting went from 
the, the industry or whatever you want to call it, as that really went from like a bunch of people in their basements to, you know, NPR and these major networks and serial and teams of 50 people making a podcast. If you if I kept the same production that I would have used in, say, 2013, it would stand out now like a sore thumb. So a lot of what I was doing was trying to keep the same feel and mood that I had at the beginning but make it sound a bit more professional. So I just found I've been, that'd be the biggest change. If you listened to an episode from the beginning and compared it to an episode now, the sound quality is definitely the difference. And how much of an investment was it to, to get the right kind of equipment or was it more just how you were recorded? A little of both. I, the first thing I had to do was buy a better microphone. Uh, fortunately, my brother's a doctor and he got me one for Christmas. Um, <laughs> I had to buy like a, I used to just record on this simple device into my laptop. I bought a portable handheld recorder that you're talking into right now. That was probably 250 bucks and it's been invaluable. I use it for almost every interview or every episode. So like I would think my show, if, if I was to, if I had nothing but a laptop, which most people would have, and I decided to start today for say five or 600 bucks, I could pretty much get to where I'm at, I would say. And then you're able to record audio and make a show that is indistinguishable from like a bigger network. Then yeah, well. yeah. You, you need a little bit of know-how with the software. Podcasting, it's so much about community and networking. There's so many groups and with people that are willing to kind of walk you through it and help and whatnot. Like I, I find you, you can work your way through it if you're willing to work with other people. What do you feel is kind of the biggest achievement for you? Um, not even necessarily in a metric sense, but in a sense of personally what you've what you've done with the show just the amount of growth and getting it to the point that it's at now it's like i never expected it never intended to do it it's all been accidental so that's been that's an achievement but more than that i think the achievements are that the topics that i covered and the depth i was able to cover them so the episode story of lindsay suvonaroth that was one where I managed to have a guest on the show who was very high profile, had never spoken to any press or anything. And not only did they speak to me, but they spoke to me as if I was a close friend basically and told the entire story of their life. And so someone who, who is following a story like that in the news, because this was something that really played out in the news when it happened, they never would expect to hear someone like that tell their story the way they did on my show. And I've done that as well with a couple other series. There was one uh, guy who was a rumored cult leader in um, Costa Rica. He went by the name Nature Boy. And he was recruiting quote unquote cult, member, cult members through a YouTube channel. But what would happen is people from small town wherever would see this guy in Costa Rica making these videos. They would get in touch with him and he'd offer to pay to bring them to join his cult or whatever you want to call it. Turned out a, a young woman from Newfoundland found her and she went and joined his cult. But anyway, she ended up getting deported, came back to Canada, and it just turned out that I knew someone who knew her and she agreed to give me like the first interview from when she got back. We actually talked, my interview, she had a contraband cell phone in a hospital she was staying at. She agreed to call me on it, so we did an interview. She ended up liking the interview and liking me, so she got me in touch with this nature boy cult leader who like Lindsay Subonroth, he had never told his story to anyone, and he agreed to tell me his life story, which was completely shocking. Like, it turned out he was actually a male stripper from the States, 
But he told me the whole story and it was just completely bizarre. But again, like I'm proud to take a, a little weird story like that from the news and just open the whole thing up and, and get the people involved telling the stories. It's kind of going beyond the kind of the news bulletin soundbite and then taking it to kind of down some bizarre rabbit hole that you, yeah. you, you're in charge of what you do me your narrative. You yeah, can yeah. go where you think is interesting. If you were talking to somebody today who was going to set up a podcast, what kind of advice would you give them based on your personal experience? The biggest thing I would say is like start now because it's, I don't know numbers, but I'm guessing 95% of the people who come up with an idea and say, you know, I'm going to start a podcast, they don't because they're waiting for everything to fall into place. I need to get this done. I need this to work out. I'd say just start. You know, you'll make mistakes as you go and you'll learn from them. But I would say the number one thing is just start and figure it out as you go because you're never going to master it and hit the ground running unless you have the support of a radio station and network and team behind you. But if you're in your house doing this on your own, just start. And if it's terrible, you can just change your name and start over. <laughs> yeah, just rebrand is fine. Yeah, exactly. So that one, another piece of advice is like choose something you're passionate about for your topic not something you think is going to be successful because like podcasting can be such a grind. And if you were trying to cover something that wasn't like your true passion, it'd just, it'd be like work. It'd be hell. So if you're going to do a podcast about a TV show, let's say, make sure it's your favorite show that you'll love till the day you die. Just talking to you from the level of passion and time that you put into it. It's clear that you probably would be doing this anyway, even if you just, it was still just five people listening, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Or nobody listening. Like people, like people expect when they tune into your podcast, they expect to hear somebody who's, you know, completely devoted and an expert on what they're talking about. If not, those devoted experts will just tear you to shreds. So you need to be <laughs> ready for that. And you don't need to be successful to have haters. So... Yeah, And it's a very kind of public forum to expose yourself if you are pretending to be an expert in something or like completely misrepresenting what um, is known by other people, I guess. Yeah. And, and I've even semi-guilty of it myself. There's been some stories that I covered that maybe it started out as an interesting story, but then I kind of lost interest, but I still finished the episodes. It's like, I know which episodes they are and they're my worst episodes always. And if it, it's like, if you're not passionate you won't put the time in, you won't make it perfect or close to perfect. Yeah, that, that'd that be the big thing. Thank you so much for giving this interview. Have you got, would you like to plug Nighttime? Yeah, I guess if they listen this far, they know what it's about, but you can find it anywhere you get podcasts just by searching Nighttime. Awesome, thank you very much. Thank you. Visit podstarter.io to find out how we can help you build the podcast you and your audience needs. To listen to more episodes, search Podstarter wherever you find your podcasts or visit our website. You can also find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Podstarter is produced in Nova Scotia, Canada by podstarter.io.